Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read from 1 Kings chapter 9. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of Yahweh in the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, Yahweh appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And Yahweh said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has Yahweh done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned Yahweh their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore Yahweh has brought all this disaster on them. At the end of twenty years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of Yahweh and the king's house, and Hiram king of Tyre had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold as much as he desired, King Solomon gave to Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given them, they did not please him. Therefore he said, What kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram had sent to the king a hundred twenty talents of gold. And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of Yahweh and his own house, and the Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire, and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer and lower Beth-Haran, and Baalith, and Tamar, and the wilderness, and the land of Judah, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers, they were his officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who had charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. 
Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to Yahweh, making offerings with it before Yahweh. So he finished the house. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir, and brought from there gold four hundred twenty talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. This is the word of the Lord. So this text starts out today with Yahweh visiting Solomon for a second time. So they had the first conversation together where Yahweh asked Solomon to really gave him a blank check, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you kind of thing. Solomon asked for wisdom. So here we have it a second time. This time Yahweh is responding to Solomon's prayers, that he has heard his prayers, he has consecrated this house, so he's, he's made it holy, he's set it apart, and he's filled it with his very own presence. And he promises, well, he gives him his word that he's going to be there in that house. It's not without a warning, which is coming up in a couple of verses. I mean, it starts right here in verse 4, though. If you will walk before me. So we've got an if-then statement. If you will do this, verse 5, then I will do this. The promise made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 of establishing David's throne and allowing Solomon to reign here is based on the faithfulness of the people. Temporarily, right? Ultimately, it's not based on the faithfulness of the people because God keeps the promise through his own son, Jesus Christ, who sits on that throne of David forevermore. And almost, you can make the case that it's entirely because we were faithless that that occurs. So, Solomon ordered to be faithful. He's not going to even make it through his own lifetime in that regard. So here comes the warning in verse 6. If you turn aside, going and serving other gods, verse 7, then I will cut off Israel from the land. And that happens. The northern kingdom, we're going to see two days from now, the kingdom split. Uh, as the kingdom splits into north and south, the northern kingdom is Israel, the southern is Judah. The northern kingdom is going to be destroyed by Assyria in 722 B.C. So, you know... More than 200 years later, 230, 240, something like that. But not just them either. Uh, then you have the note, This house that I have consecrated from my name, I will cast out of my sight. It will become a heap of ruins. And this is also true. As the southern kingdom rebels against God and proves to be unfaithful, the Lord allows Babylon, the Lord uses Babylon, to destroy them in 587 BC, and when that happens, they tear down the temple. They destroy it, and they carry off the wealth that was within it into their own treasuries, their own storehouses back in the land of Babylon. So this is a warning to us, too, about forsaking the Lord. And so as you're talking to your kids about this text, you can, you can focus on the promises, just as we see the promise made to David and to Solomon, but also on the, on the negative side, what happens if we reject the Lord? So 
What promise do we have from God? We have the promise of of forgiveness and life that never ends. We have the promise that we will be raised to new life. We will get to live with him forever in paradise. On the other side, though, what happens if we reject God like these people did and worship other gods instead, which includes our own self? Self self is one of the biggest idols we've got. In that case, we know that the outcome of that is, is hell. Their outcome is exile. Our outcome is, would be a permanent exile. And so we pray that the Lord would keep us steadfast in our faith today, tomorrow, and every day until we reach paradise. Even the people that pass by the ruins of Jerusalem will know the reason. According to God's word there in verse 9, they'll be able to state it, that it was because they abandoned Yahweh that this has happened. As we look at verse 10, it clarifies something from from earlier in the text, and that's the idea of, of when did Solomon build his own palace as compared to building the house of Yahweh? And in the text before, it wasn't clear, but now it is. At the end of 20 years, so it took seven to build the temple, 13 to build his own house. Solomon finished the temple and then started his own palace. At the end of 20 years, so when this is all done, and Solomon has finished building everything that he desired, he gives King Hiram of Tyre 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Did Solomon just give up part of the promised land to somebody outside of Israel? Sure looks like it, as as he's got some of those northern tribes like Naphtali uh, that live up in that land of Galilee that we would look at on a map and consider to be Galilee. It's possible that these were beyond the the farthest border of, of the allotment of Israel. So this is potentially a bad thing giving away Israel land. On the other hand, if it's outside of their boundaries already and it's just extended territory of Solomon's, then it's just a a friendly gift. But it's hard to tell from the text. Regardless, Hiram doesn't like them. As he comes and he he looks at them, they, they did not please him. And they call them Kabul, which means unproductive land. So it sounds like Hiram in a way, just let them sit. But sends 120 talents of gold to the king. A talent is 75 pounds. It's a measurement. So you've got 9,000 pounds of gold here in verse 14, which by today's dollars uh, on the market would be about $258 million of gold. You're going to see gold again down at the bottom of the text in a more significant quantity than we just saw it here which is something to think about. The next paragraph describes the forced labor that Solomon puts together. Um, It's primarily, as you have to look lower in the paragraph there, the people that aren't supposed to be there. As God sends Israel into the promised land, he instructed them to drive out or destroy everyone that they encountered. And you can ask your children why. Why did God want all of the people that were living in the land before gone? Why is it a problem that Israel didn't get rid of them all? 
Now that problem questions twofold because A, they didn't follow God's instructions. B, it's also a problem for the same reason that God wanted it done. And that's the idea that if they leave these people behind, these people will introduce them to their false pagan gods and worship practices. And we know it happened. We know Israel follows after these pagan practices and does a lot of the things that that these local regional gods that their mythologies instructed their people to do. So, unfaithfulness on the part of Israel, and Solomon then ends up taking those and, and making them into his slaves. The paragraph considers construction happening all over the kingdom. But that word Milo, Milo, might stick out to you. Uh, is what is this? And honestly, I don't have an answer for you. We do know that it's something David first built in Jerusalem, but now that now that Solomon has expanded the boundaries of that city, uh, he has apparently constructed a new one, or maybe built up on the first one and made it bigger. The Hebrew root of the word means to fill something, um, but the only definition I actually found for the this word as it stands is... Uh, some kind of a construction on a terrace. So almost like a support structure of some kind, but it's hard to say exactly what that is. Megiddo uh, is a city. I'm, I'm going to pick it out out of the crowd here. These cities are located all over the map. But Megiddo has importance because it's actually a valley. The valley of Megiddo is a common place for war to occur in Israel's history. And... It gets mentioned in the book of Revelation, and unfortunately, translationally, it gets messed up a bit, often. So you're familiar with the idea of Armageddon um, as this big battle in the book of Revelation, where actually Armageddon in the Greek is is from the Hebrew. It's Har Megiddo, Har Megiddon, the mountain, Har, the mountain of Megiddo. And so it, it's taking this idea, the, the common place for warfare, and it's turning it over. Um, instead of a valley, it's calling it a mountain to point us to a mountain, um, which may indeed be a reference to the mountain of Jerusalem where Jesus is crucified, that that is the final battle as Jesus deals with the devil, with sin and death for us on that cross. Uh, it's a really interesting connection in the book of Revelation but again, missed because of bad translational stuff in history. Uh, that, that H gets dropped out entirely from the Hebrew language, even though it really should still be there. You've got the Hebrew word mountain. Armageddon is the mountain of Megiddo. Uh, and so j anyway, uh, just a, a, a possible note for you there to consider. 550 officers that, that served over all of the, the slave labor we get the odd detail here that Pharaoh's daughter goes up from Jerusalem and lives in that house that Solomon has now built for her. Um, that makes sense, right? That she would. Still a bit odd that they don't have a house that they share, um, but it is what it is. Verse 25, Solomon offers up burnt offerings three times a year, most likely on the three major festivals, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, uh, or the Passover, the Festival of the Harvest, 
and the festival of booths. Then Solomon builds a fleet of ships. That's new for Israel. They've not had that before. And he does so down on the tip of the north uh, part of the Red Sea. So if you're looking at a map, you see the Red Sea, and it's got those two smaller seas that come off of it on the north, the one on the left, the one on the right. This is the one on the right, the Sea of Aqaba, the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, and it's right at the northern tip of that that we're talking about with Ezion Geber, where Solomon builds this fleet of ships. Hiram helps Solomon supply these ships with with seamen, people that will, will work these boats. And they then travel down to Ophir, which is on the southeast, to the southeast. It's on the east side of the Red Sea. And they harvest gold from there. We're not told how. It could be they found gold and they mined it. It could be plunder. Uh, we're just not told here in the text of what's going on in this particular spot. But it's three and a half times the gold that they found, that, that Hiram gave to Solomon before which would bring it to about $904 million worth of gold in today's economy. So that's clear over a billion dollars of gold that Solomon gets from these two things. And this is after the expenditures Solomon has already gone through of, of all that gold that he used to build the temple itself. So lots and lots of gold in the reign of King Solomon. Um, one of the oddities from archaeological digs is that this gold really doesn't get found. And the most most likely reasoning for that is that when Israel is destroyed, even in the process leading to their destruction, Israel is either giving up this gold or they're being plundered of it. So when, when we see Babylon, for example, tear down the temple, they carry off all the gold they found. So that's a possibility. But also, as you know, like King Ahaz is enlisting help, from other nations like Assyria uh, earlier in history there, he may well have been sending gold as tributes to other kings in, in hopes of earning their favor. So Israel is eventually plundered of all of this stuff that they once had. Just as they plundered Egypt themselves coming out of the Exodus, but wasted it all on false gods creating that golden calf. Mm -hmm.